You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. All right, good afternoon, Riverhouse. How's it going? Who's excited to be in the house of God tonight? That's cool, me too. Me too. It's, uh, it's, uh, anybody go to the Twilight Criterion last night? Yeah, it was pretty fun. I don't know, uh, Paul Warner in our church actually raced in it, so it was fun to get to uh, watch someone within our own community uh, racing. But I love this city, I love this time of year, and we're really blessed to get to be a part of what God's doing in Boise, Idaho. Amen? Awesome. Well, um, I'm going to preach and share, we're going to read quite a few scriptures tonight, but I want you to turn to two that are, um, and just bookmark them right now so that when we get there, we can read these portions together. Um, the first, I just want you to bookmark Isaiah 55. And then secondly, I want you to bookmark in uh, John chapter 7, verse 38. So if you can have those kind of set aside, that will be super helpful. You know, I'm also excited about the Now Gathering coming up. Any millennials in the house? You know, I'm really excited this year. Uh, it's kind of a multi-generational focus. We have a lot of uh, older um, generation. We've represented entrepreneurs, uh, ministry leaders, um, flying in from across to really pour in to the young generation here. So uh, millennials in the house, if you haven't signed up, I highly encourage it. And yes, it does cost money, and that is very intentionally because we want you to value the experience. And uh, has anybody you've ever received a book for free at a conference or something like that? You know how you don't ever read those ones? <laughs> the reason why is because we don't value it. If I pay money for a book, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the book because I value it. And so I'd highly encourage you to value these three days into your own development and allow yourself to be really blessed and catalyzed into the experience that God has for you. So that's coming up in about four weeks. You can sign up out in the lobby. Okay, you guys got those bookmarked? Awesome. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach tonight a message that kind of links prayer to mission. Uh, in a way, I'm not going to go deep into the missional aspect of it, but we've been in the season of prayer. Thank you again for those that have been uh, faithful to Tuesday, Thursday, 6 a.m. prayer. Uh, I actually uh, missed my alarm this week and <laughs> missed uh, Thursday a.m. prayer. And it was funny, Jamie Stiefel, God spoke to him to save my butt, and he got there. And so for those of you that were there... Uh, Thank Jamie. <laughs> that's, that's why no one was there for the first 10 minutes of the stage. Anyways, uh, it's been awesome. God's been moving, and uh, we're, we're continuing this. We are a people of prayer, but we're also a family, uh, people, a community marked by family and also by mission. And in, in Matthew chapter 9, uh, there's a verse that it says, uh, it happened that Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, and many tax collectors and sinners came and they were dining with him. And I love that verse because it shows me that Jesus is really attractive, right? An attractive Jesus. You know, unfortunately, you can't really say that is, that is the case in the church today in the United States of America. The world doesn't want to come hang out with Christians uh, because that's not the reputation we have. But somehow Jesus, the righteous, holy rabbi, still had the sinners and the tax collectors and all the heathens wanted to come hang out with him. You know, which shows that Jesus was a very attractive in the way that he lived his life. And I believe that we, too, are to be attractive. And I've pondered this for a long time. God, 
how can I be uncompromisingly committed to walking a life of holiness and yet still be attractive to, to the world, to sinners, right? That's what we want. And I think we can only do that when we're really walking and living as Jesus did. But one of the ways that I believe uh, Jesus modeled, one of, the, one of the aspects of his life that was most attractive is the way that he communicated. And he spoke in a way that captivated people with his words. They were constantly amazed or marveled, or he would speak into very problematic circumstances, situations, political climate, all these things. He would speak in a way that would marvel. It would cause people to marvel to the point that people wanted to be in proximity to Jesus because of the way he spoke. And in Mark 16, he commissions the disciples, and one of the signs that he says will follow them, he says, you'll speak in new tongues. And we often interpret that in the, in, 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 as a, you know, like a prayer language, speaking in tongues. And I believe in prayer language. But that's actually really not what Jesus is getting at here. He's, speaking, he's talking about inspired speech. He's saying you're going to speak with a new tongue. You're going to speak in such a way that your, your speech releases grace. It leavens environments. It's like salt. And it, and it captivates people the way that you communicate. Right? And we see Peter, uh, you know, he can hardly answer a question right for three years, but the Spirit of God comes upon him, and he speaks with a new tongue, and it says it cut people to their heart, and many people came into the kingdom that day. And I, I think we'd be making a big mistake to think that to speak with new tongue, with inspired speech, only means from a pulpit, because it doesn't mean just from a pulpit. I believe what Jesus is really getting at is, the, is, is conversation, the way that you talk and relate to human beings throughout your day. You'll speak with a new tongue you'll speak in such a way that it actually is attractive and it captivates people and they want to communicate with you because the way you speak brings them into the presence of God your speech is seasoned with grace the empowering presence of God amen so so we're to be a people of of, of inspired speech that's the missional aspect but I want to link inspired speech to an aspect of our prayer lives, and that is what I'm going to say, the discipline of receiving. That's what I'm going to call it tonight, because those who know how to receive from God will, by consequence, speak with new tongues. They'll speak with inspired speech. I'm going to back that up with scripture tonight, but that's my thesis for tonight's message, is that those who know how to receive from God will, by consequence of that receiving, as we receive his spirit, receive his grace, by consequence, we won't even have to try. We're not going to conjure it. We're not going to force it. By consequence of learning to receive from God, we will speak with new tongues. We will speak with inspired speech, with the grace of God flowing through our language in such a way that people will be attracted to the presence of God that is released through my mouth, through your mouth, as we are conversing with the world that we're constantly communicating with. Right? We've been given a weapon. The only weapon in scripture is what? It's the double-edged sword. It's the word of God, right? And, and yes, the word of God is, is, is here, but God wants to make you a living word. He wants to make you a living epistle, not written with ink on paper, but with the spirit of God etched into the tablet of your soul, known and read by all, that people, you're, you're a living epistle of Christ to culture, to the world that you're called to. Right? We're always speaking. Our life is speaking. We are, we are living words of God. Right? He spoke and he formed us. We're, we're, we're skin and bone wrapped around the inspiration of his voice. Right? We are a message to the world. And when we learn how to receive from God, we'll be empowered to become that message. Amen? Okay, so 
The discipline of receiving is what I want to talk about tonight. And there is a, a doctrine in the church that's uh, very like fundamental, and it's called the doctrine of provenient grace. Has anybody heard the phrase, theological term, provenient grace before? Um, for those of you that haven't, it's simply, uh, it's, it's, it's describing the idea that nobody works their way to God, right? But God proveniently, he first moved and pursued us, and we responded to that grace, and that's when salvation happened. Does this make sense? Nobody pursued God. No one found God. God pursued man, and we simply responded, right? That is a core uh, fundamental doctrine of uh, what we would call orthodox christianity it's the doctrine of provenient grace and if if that doctrine is as core and fundamental as the church pretty much universally agrees that it is uh, you would think that we would very much emphasize the work of god as the initiator in all our spiritual lives right do you see what i'm saying right? if, if this if this idea that it's god we love because he First loves, right? This, if, if this was actually incarnational in our lives, if we, if we live in such a way that we were to agree with this, we would think that we would spend a lot of time emphasizing God's role and God's leadership and God's initiation in our spirituality. But oftentimes, uh, it's the opposite in, in what we talk about and what we emphasize as, as it pertains to spiritual discipline or the life of, of believers in the churches. We, act, we, we, we focus a lot on our role in things. We focus on how we should pray, on how, what it means to be Christian, how we should worship, how we should do, what we need to do to earn God's favor, what we need to do. We focus a lot on our role on things, and we don't talk as much about God's role in things, but Provenient Grace says we need to really be aware of what God's role is because we can only do things because he first loves, right? And he doesn't just first love on our day of salvation. He first loves on all of our days, right? We're growing up into salvation all the time. And so there's this idea that God's the initiator, we're the responder. But for some reason, we spend a lot of time talking about our response. And we actually create these little ideas and codes sometimes that this is the best way to pray. This is how you should worship. This is how you should do it. And we get our own idea and our own doctrines and precepts. And we know exactly how we need to do our spiritual life. And we've kind of neglected that God's actually the initiator and the leader. And we can only pray if he's giving us grace to pray. Like, he's always the one initiating. It's provenient grace. Does this make sense? All right, so why do we focus so much on our role and our response and not so much on receiving the provenient grace that's pursuing us every single day of our lives? Why don't we talk about receiving more in the church? Right, I believe it's for this reason. The work of God is more hidden, subtle, and it's internal. And particularly when we're young in our faith, we have a little bit more ego. You know what I'm talking about? You know how you usually get to the end of the year, you look back, you're like, you know, I, th I think I have less ego than I did 12 months ago. You know what I mean? It's like God's pretty good at like dealing with this ego thing. But when we're younger in our faith, particularly, God responds. He's doing all this work, but it's internal, it's hidden, it's subtle. And then like we like respond like, yes, I'm going to seek your face. And we kind of get puffed up like, man. I'm seeking God with such passion. You know what I'm talking about? When I first started praying, uh, I, it, it was all, kind of a series of events. I had this conversation with a guy, and I ended up praying, and I just had this, this just fire inside of me to start waking up, and I would pray. I'd wake up about 4.30 each morning, and I'd pray consistently, 5 a.m., just day after day after day after day. And 
it got to the point, it was really good. It was really beautiful. But I was like, man, I just found this discipline to seek God. I am awesome. I am so spiritual. Like, I am on fire. People need to follow what I'm doing. Like, I need to start teaching people this. Right? Like, I, I, I wouldn't have, like, said all that, but it kind of puffed up my ego. You know what I mean? Any of you ever been like, man, I know the Bible so much better than that person? Like, I spend so much time in the Word. I just hunger for the Word, right? Like, we, we kind of, we focus on, like, our role in things. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I didn't, like, sit and think, like, whoa, you know, it was actually, like, a lot of work and prompting and even the desire suddenly out of nowhere to start praying at 5 a.m. after I've never prayed at 5 a.m. my entire life. And then I was invited. But, like, I, you see what I'm saying? God was working internally. He was cultivating desire. He was taking me on a process that led me to this point where I could finally be like, yes. Right? And then I create a theology around my yes. <laughs> do, do, are you following me here? Right, So for this reason, because it takes time, it takes maturity, it takes introspection, it takes time to really reflect on the work of God, which is so much more important. Right? But it's easier to be like, man, I'm really disciplined and I got it figured out. Right? And then what happened? Like a year later, I lost the grace because God was no longer producing this. And then I was trying to strive my way into 5 a.m. prayer every single day, miserable, sleeping in, feeling guilty. Da -da 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 -da. Anybody been there? Where you're like, man, I am on fire. I'm loving the word. I'm in prayer, whatever it is. And then like three months later, you're like, I can't even, I can't even imagine getting up at 5 a.m. to pray. Right? Then you like start beating yourself up. I'm losing it. I'm not, I, must not, I must have lost my first love. I don't know what's going on. Right? The, it's because we're focused so much on our response and not on receiving his provenient grace. Right? That we, so God constantly changes the seasons. You know why? Because he's trying to kill our egos and get rid of this, uh, this fleshly thing in us that always needs to like, look to ourselves. Right, so for that reason, God's constantly changing how his leadership, what he's initiating, the grace he's releasing season after season after season after season because he's trying to mature us into childlikeness. Children have no egos and they know how to receive because they're dependent. Right, and, and at, so as you begin walking with the Lord season after season and you learn to ebb and flow with the changes of his leadership, you become more and more aware that that actually I, I have to learn how to receive or else I really can't do it. Like I have to learn what you're doing or else I don't really know what I'm doing. Are you guys with me here? So this is how we, uh, you know, if, if we want to stay, if we don't follow when, he, when the cloud moves and we want to stay around the formula that was working in that season, that's how a religious paradigm is created. And it will start to become a very heavy yoke. And you'll try really hard to get other people to do what you're doing, but they will intuitively know that what you're talking about is really heavy, so they won't. Right? You will know that you're in the, the light yoke, the easy burden, when, because you're receiving, you're receiving the, the motivation, right? You're receiving the inspiration of God because he's not going to ask you to do something that he's not going to help you fulfill. Right? So he's not going to ask you to pray but without giving you the grace to seek his faith, right? There's, and it changes. Does this make sense? Right? So for this reason, the discipline of receiving, we have to talk about this a lot more. We have to learn. It's actually something we have to learn to receive. We have to grow uh, into childlikeness. Because Jesus says, you won't receive the kingdom unless you receive it as a 
child. So we're uh, actually, we should be uh, seeking uh, to become childlike in, as it pertains to receiving from God. So what are we receiving exactly? Uh, the Holy Spirit. Right, we're learning to receive the Holy Spirit. In John 16, Jesus tells us very clearly, I have many, four thing, many more things to tell you. Uh, I can't tell them now, but the Holy Spirit, he's going to take what's mine. He's going to disclose it to you. Right, so the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1, it says he's the, he's the pledge of our inheritance. Right, he, he's the one who makes known the inheritance, the grace, the gospel, message, all the things, the words that Jesus has to say. He makes Jesus real. He makes Jesus' gospel come to life. Right? So the Holy Spirit is the gift of heaven that comes and breathes life and inspiration into all that Jesus is doing and all that Jesus has done on our behalf. Right? So we're learning to receive the Holy Spirit. And his leadership in our life. He's the counselor. He's the tutor. He leads us into the truth. He reminds us of the things that Jesus has spoken. He tells us what Jesus is currently speaking. He is the presence of God. He is the grace of God. Grace is not just forgiveness of sins. It's the unmerited favor. It's the empowering presence of God. Right? So this is all found in the Holy Spirit. So we're learning to receive of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And how is the Holy Spirit received? This is kind of cool. Right, we think of this often, you know, like we've heard the phrase being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Like we, we know these things, but how is the Holy Spirit uh, received? How is he communicated uh, to mankind? And if you look in the scriptures, he's actually received through, through language, through words. Right? There, there's a message spoken. There's something decreed. He's a God who speaks. So we actually receive the Holy Spirit through listening. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Where's that in the Bible? I'm going to tell you. Galatians 3. Did you receive the Spirit? This is 3 verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is John 3 verse 34. This is John the Baptist talking about Jesus. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Do you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? The one who speaks the words of God gives the Spirit without measure. And lastly, let's look at Isaiah 55. You should be there. This is verse 1 through 3. It says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what's not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Right, so it's an analogy of thirst. talks about water, talks about wine, talks about milk. All throughout the scripture, the water is the sign of the presence of God, like the Ezekiel River that goes and makes the dead things life. Paul says, don't be filled with wine, but be, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the spirit, the joy of the Lord, presence of God, milk, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word, 
right? We know the Spirit of God inspired the Word of God, and He's the living Word of God who comes and makes the words of Jesus known, right? So these are three different aspects. It's three different uh, imagery, symbolic imagery of the Holy Spirit, and it says this is how you drink. This is how you come to that river. This is how you drink this wine. This is how you consume this milk. Incline your ear and listen, because the Holy Spirit is translated through language, We receive of the Spirit through listening and receiving the words of God. You're like, are you listening now? (laughs) So listening, we receive the Spirit through communication. And to receive communication, we have to listen. Come to the waters and drink. We talk about drinking and all these things, but the only way you drink is by listening, right? You cannot drink and talk, right? And even deeper, we're talking about a spiritual drinking here. So we're talking about the eyes and the ears of our heart. We have to learn how we're not, right? We're not speaking. We're not coming with an agenda. We have to learn how to receive. We have to learn how to listen. And I think the most important word in this passage, the, the exhortation, the, the rebuke in a way, that's why it has an exclamation point, is ho! Which is a phrase they use when riding horses, meaning stop. Stop! Stop wasting your time for what doesn't satisfy! Stop being so busy. Stop talking. (laughs) And listen. Listen so you can drink of the Spirit of God. Because Jesus wants to give the Spirit without measure. We determine the measure not God. How much capacity do we have to receive? There was a widow in the days of Elijah. Her husband died. She went to the prophet and said, I don't know what we're going to do. We have no money. I have a son. How are we going to provide? And he said, go and get some, some basins, some jars, and take your jar of oil and begin to pour it. So they got a bunch of jars of oil. They started pouring, and the oil just kept pouring without measure, pouring. They filled out one They filled up another, they filled up another, the son would hand another, it would fill the another, it would fill another, it would fill another, and then the son looked at the mom and said, that's the last one. And then the oil stopped. He who is sent by God speaks the words of God. He gives the spirit without measure. He says, you can come and drink of my spirit without measure. But how many, how much capacity, how much space are you actually creating to receive? And it's prevenient grace. It's him first. Right? He is the empowerment. He is the source. He is the supply. He, he is, right? He, we need him. We have to learn to receive. I was uh, running, this is like, man, four, four years ago maybe. I was, it was probably July-ish. And it was like a 105 degree day. I I I I major I major on the majors and I minor on the minors. You know what I mean in life, like details. 
not good. You know what I'm talking about? So, like, I usually go for a run in the foothills, and I always forget water. I don't, like, I just, like, I just can't. I just don't think about that till I'm, like, two miles into the run, and I'm thirsty. And anyways, I was running on the green belt. Uh, it was, like, 100, it ended up being, like, one of those 106, 170-degree days. I'm in the middle of the day just getting scorched, and I'm running right by the river on the green belt. I was doing about a six-and-a-half-mile loop, and the whole time, I'm just, like, dying. <laughs> like, 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 oh, my gosh, I'm going to pass out. Like, and, but I had a meeting to get to, so I was like, i got to finish this run. And I, the way I do it, I go out, and then, like, there's no shortcut back. Does that make sense? So I'm, like, three miles out, like, oh, my gosh, like, I have a meeting to get to. I can't walk, and I'm going to pass out. And I'm running, and I'm literally, like, the river's right there, but I'm just dying. And I've kept looking at me like, man, I just want to like get in that water and take a drink. And I was like, no, but I don't have time. I got to get, I got to. So I'm just going to the point that I'm like two, two and a half miles out. I'm like, okay, I literally can't walk anymore. I'm going to pass out. And I was like, I just got to get in that water. So the bank was steep. So I kind of like, I didn't want to get my shoes wet because I still had to like get to my meeting, you know? So I like, crawled down on the bank and I literally just like laid my whole body in the river except for my ankles on the shore because <laughs> I was like I'm gonna die right now so I like finally like right I've been running by this river for 40 minutes I finally get in the river and it was so freezing cold it was like my whole body came to life it was like one of those you know commercials you know or like the whatever the Listerine or those little you know men's like blasted by the ocean or the freezing snow and then I get out and it was like oh my gosh I felt like a new person I I just I ran with ease the next two miles got to my car got to the meeting but as I was running those next two miles, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, Jordan, he said, how long were you next to that river? I said, like 40 minutes. And he said, yeah, and you didn't get in. He said, what happened when you got in? I said, everything changed. And he said, I'm God with you. He said, you know I'm there. He said, but so often in your life, you're just like that. He said, you don't take the time. You're, you have your agenda, and you have your busy, and you can do this, and you don't take time to get in the river. And he said, Jordan, when you get in the river, everything changes. You need to start getting in the river. You need to start coming and drinking. We as Christians, we know it. He's Emmanuel. He's God with me. I know I have his presence. I know I have access. I know he's there. But we just go and go and go. And as we have our next meeting, we got this to do, and we got that to do, and we got that to do. And it's like, I know that God's with me. And God's saying, I don't just want to be with you. He was with Israel. He came and he died on a cross and shed his blood so that you could come and be in him. He wants intimacy. He wants you to come and get in the river. He wants you to come and drink. But in orders for drink, we have to hoe. Stop running. Stop running. And take the time to listen, to come and actually receive. Because when you receive, it's like everything changes. Because right? just as like a vehicle functions on gasoline, we function when the Spirit of God, when we have received of Him, when we have drunk of His goodness, drunk of His grace, right? when we have received, when we have deeply imbibed, going Old Testament on you, there is a radical transformation within the internal world of a human being. So 
when we just focus on all of our doing, doing, doing. Discipline is a dry word when you have not first received. Now, that's why we don't like discipline. It's because it's all about our discipline. Now, our discipline is to help steward what we've already received. All right, so you don't have the power to go become a Bible student scholar in your own strength because God knows we would get prideful about it. Right? The way that you become a man or a woman of prayer, a man or a woman of the word, a man or woman that is marked by spiritual discipline, that you steward and you walk into greatness as a Christian, isn't by puffing up your ego and becoming this super awesome, super disciplined human being. It's no, no, no. I've learned to receive, and then I'm stewarding through discipline what I've already received. So when I look back and people and 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 people need to. You know, if you're discipling someone, you're not discipling them into your work ethic or your discipline. You're discipling them in how to receive of that inspiration and that motivation that comes when you receive the spirit of God and the grace of God that lifts you up on eagle's wings and empowers you to do things that you could never do in your own strength. Right? Discipline is very doable. It's in the realm of possibility when you've already received that. we got to learn how to receive And it's very important why. If you just turn like two pages left to Isaiah 50. Some of my favorite verses in the book of Isaiah right here. It's chapters four and five. So we're talking about inspired speech here. So Isaiah 50 verse four. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. The Lord has given me the tongue of disciples. That sounds like new tongues. Sounds like inspired speech. Right? This is real. Right, words move us. Words shape the way that we see reality. Words shape our world. They shape our inner world, which then uh, produce our outer world. Word, words are powerful. The Lord God's given me the, the tongue of a disciple that I can sustain the weary with the word. Do you know how many weary people you're going to rub shoulders with this week? Do you know how many of your friends are weary? Do you know how many of your relatives are weary? Your coworkers are weary. They're weary. They're looking for, for words that are anointed, that are inspired speech. But how do you get the tongue of a disciple? You get the tongue of a disciple when you have the ear of a disciple. He wakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient. And I didn't turn back. If we want to speak with inspired tongues, we have to have listening ears that are inclined, that are bent. Morning after morning, his mercies are new. Open my ear, God. Give me ears to hear. What are you doing? What are you saying? All right. Does this make sense? Jesus says that like this in John chapter 7. You should have that marked. Verse 38. Verse 37 and 38. It says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, 
From its innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Whoever comes to me and drink, and how do we drink? We listen. He who comes to me and listens and receives my word. Right? The reason you'll speak with a new tongue is because out of your innermost being will start to flow a river. Right? When we take time, when we hoe, when we stop, when we get down into the river and drink, what we don't realize is that river starts to flow out of us. It's just one drink becomes a river. Right? One drink becomes a river. Right? Jesus doesn't say a river will flow out of you. He says rivers will flow out of you. Rivers are the life of the land. Rivers are what water the soil that causes the soil to, sp to bear fruit. Rivers change environments. Rivers are where cities were built upon. Next to the river, people need to be by the water because where there's water, there's life. The Ezekiel 47 river, it went to the Dead Sea and it made where the dead places were swarm with life. It was a picture of resurrection power that flows through the Spirit of God. And we're so busy, we're so busy that we're just, yeah, I know, we take it for granted that God is right there. And he says, stop being so busy and come and learn to drink because when you drink every drink becomes a river when you've been satisfied in me I will use you to satisfy the weary with the word I will give you a new tongue that will speak life it will speak resurrection power your words will change your world because rivers of life will flow with your words because the spirit of God is communicated through words through the words of God and God doesn't just want to speak his words to you just so that we can consume it we consume and then out of us flows rivers of life if we want to fulfill the missional mandate on our lives to see his kingdom come we must be a people with new tongues we must be people with the tongue of disciples and to be people with new tongues but to be people with new ears ears that are listening, inclined to what he would want to speak. Amen? Amen. I want to make this practical, just bring you into what this looks like in my life. Uh, I believe that the morning is a good time to stop. And, you know, one of the, because when you get going, when you get going, you know what I'm talking about? That inner, that inner thing starts going, it feels good, right? Drink that coffee and you just start churning. You start getting ideas for your day, whatever it is. That's a really, really beautiful experience. And so I don't want to diminish that experience because I think God loves our productivity. He made us to be productive, right? But I've, I really value, I don't let myself get going until I've stopped. Does that make sense? It's like even this morning, anybody want to watch uh, the Wimbledon final, you know, this morning? Started at 7 a.m., uh, but I know... I. If I were to watch that first, I'd get going, and it'd be really hard to stop after that. Does that make sense? So I literally woke up. I had a cup of coffee, and I ate, like, an English muffin, English muffin, watching Wimbledon. Uh, but I, I literally, I watched for, like, 10, I just turned it on to Tebow it. I watched, like, 10 minutes just while I was drinking my coffee, eating, and I said, okay, I'm going to stop. I stopped. Then I went. I was with the Lord, and then I went and watched Wimbledon. 
All right, and I know that sounds like, why are you sharing that? So it's, it is simple, but it's little things like that. We have to learn to manage that drive in us, right? That's supposed to kick on in our day. But for me, I don't want that to kick on until I've stopped and I've been with the Lord. Okay, and then I kick on. And oftentimes, you know how uh, we have uh, like a early afternoon, you know, dead time, 2, 3 p.m. It's different for all of us. You know what I'm talking about? That's part of our human humanity, right? Like there's like people spend so much money to try to act like that shouldn't happen when it happens to all of us, right? And then Spain's like, no, we're not even going to fight it anymore. Let's just cancel everything, <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> okay. Like, this is part of us being human. We can't function like that all day, is what that's saying. And I would say, instead of fighting it, we have to learn maybe God's actually inviting us to stop again. Right? And this is just being real with you. One of the big things that I use to stop uh, is I, I've become, I utilize like a 10, 15-minute resting period, nap, whatever you call it. And uh, there's times just in the last month, I can remember one time specifically, I had my time in the morning, then I kicked on, and I was just in production mode, which is super good, getting a lot done, and then I had a number of meetings back to back to back, and one of them was kind of stressing me out, because uh, I just knew it was, a, it was just, it was, you know, a meeting that was going to be maybe a more difficult meeting, and I was like, not only stressed, but I was like, I'm getting tired, I'm starting to hit that afternoon fatigue, and I just felt the Lord just was like, just come, come to me, so I literally stopped, I went to a quiet space, I sat on the ground, and I took about a 10-minute little nap. And, and then I just woke up, and I had so much peace. And I just started saying, thank you, God, for this peace. I just had a moment of just thanksgiving. I felt very rejuvenated in his presence. And then I went, had beautiful meetings the rest of my afternoon and the rest of my day. Does this make sense? We, we over, sometimes we under-spiritualize our days. Like, that's a very spiritual thing. Right? But we have to just learn to manage that there's times when you start to hit that burnout place, you need to stop. Stop and drink. Right, stop and come to him. And, and that's my, that's, I'm just giving you my rhythm. It's going to be different for you, but you have to give yourself permission to stop. And this is right, easy burden, light yoke. You know when you're veering out of that, you need to come back into the river instead of just running in the heat because you're going to die, right? Um, one of the things that I've learned to do that uh, has just been fun for me uh, is I've just asked the Lord questions in those pause times. Is there anybody you want me to reach out to? Is there anybody you want me to text? Is there anybody you want me to call? I just create a space for him to remind me of people in my life that, that I, he might want me to reach out to. And I could literally go on. I have so many cool testimonies. I've literally gotten to the point to expect that when someone comes to my mind and I send him a text or send him a little word or call him and sometimes he'll be like, hey, just reach out, get lunch with this person, whatever. I've literally come to expect that people will be like, it's crazy. Like, it's crazy that you're reaching out right now. I'm like, I know. You know why? Because you weren't really on my mind. You were on his. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people in the church, right? But, like, he can pastor us all, right? And, and it's, it's really encouraging. Like, you know how Jesus, when he says he's famished, he's really tired, it's the middle of the hot day, and he takes a pause at the, at the well um, and meets the woman at the well in Samaria? Right? It's like 2, 3 p.m., I believe. So it's the heat of the day in the Middle East. He's taking a break. The disciples went to go get him food and water. They came back, and uh, Jesus is you know, having this encounter with this woman. And then he looks at him. He says, I have food that you don't know about. And they're like, what? Did someone bring you food? He's like, no, no, my food's to do the will of him who sent me. 
right? When, when I found that those little moments are super energizing for me in my day. It's like, oh, like I'm doing your will. And it's, it, it, it brings this fresh grace in my life. Like, wow, just from sending a message of encouragement and literally spending two minutes to text someone, and then it, you just, it's like, wow, you're using me, God. Does that make sense? It's very energizing in that place, but you don't do it unless you stop. It's not hard to partner with God. It just takes intentionality. All right, and then the, the last thing just practically I want to um, talk about is that unworthiness often comes up and it keeps us from this place. Um, but I just want to say to you is that unworthiness is a lie. Right? Unworthiness wants to say that you, you, you don't deserve God's grace, God's blessing, God's spirit. Like we've all heard it, right? And it's absolutely a lie from the pit of hell. And it actually is part of what dies as we grow up in Christ. But uh, you can kill it. You can help God kill it by just getting really grateful. So if you struggle with unworthiness when you go to stop and get into God's presence and all these things and all the reasons you're unworthy. Because unworthiness says you're not worthy of God's blessings, right? So if you just get grateful for all of God's blessings, you'll realize that you are worthy of his blessings because you have a lot of them. You know what I'm talking about? You might not have the ones like you want, but you have blessings, I promise you. And gratitude, like last week, it will train you on what God is doing. And it's impossible to believe you're unworthy when you're so aware that you've been lavished with goodness by the Father of lights who gives without variation or shifting shadow and wants to bless you again and again and again and again. It's literally impossible to feel unworthy because you're like, I can believe I'm unworthy, but I see all of your goodness in my life. You know what I'm talking about? So Thanksgiving, again, it protects and it guards your mind because it produces that peace and joy inside of you. So, again, these messages are building on one another, but uh, unworthiness is a lie, and you can go after it uh, through gratitude. So those are just a few practical tips as far as actually doing this. Does that make sense? Um, other than that, I, I, I really just want to create a space, and we're just going to spend a few minutes um, coming to the river, if that's okay. And uh, I just want to, we're going to maybe just dim the lights a little bit. And I, I want us to posture to receive. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I have learned in my journey of receiving, and, and I said it before, but you can't talk and drink at the same time. And so, like, one of my pet peeves is when I'm praying for someone and they're praying the whole time. Like, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, yes, 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 yes. Then they start, like, praying in tongues. And I'm like... How, how are you drinking right now? You're praying, right? You're talking, right? And so there's just practical things we train, right? Because we, we have to just learn to listen. And so even when someone's praying for me or when I'm in spaces like this, that's all I'm doing. I'm just, okay, I want to listen. And I just want you to posture your hearts right now. And I just want you to, to, to incline your ear to listen to the Lord. And we're just going to ask him to come and fill this place and let this be a time just for a, a fresh drink from the Lord. Thanks for listening to the River House podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.